0: Welcome to the Beeson Podcast, coming to you from Beeson Divinity School on the campus of
1: Samford University in Birmingham, Alabama. Now your host, Timothy George. Welcome to today's Beeson Podcast. This is the session of the month when we listen to a lecture, and the lecturer this time is one of the great thinkers, strategists, activist as it relates to the urban church over the past several generations. His name is Raymond J. Bakke. Ray Bakke, we know him. And he came to Beeson Divinity School in terms of a consultation, which we jointly sponsored with the United Methodist Church in our city. And this lecture you're going to hear actually was given in the church itself. Now, a couple of things I want to tell you about this lecture. First of all, it was given in 1993, so there are a number of references here that are quite dated. For example, Bill Clinton was in the White House. He mentions that several times. There are other trends that he sees on the horizon. And so sort he of makes a little bit of a prediction. Around the year 2000, there will be this many here, or that trend will be evident there. And one of the things you can do when you're listening to this uh, lecture by Dr. Ray Bakke is to see, was he right? Did he Did he read the times correctly? I think you'll find most often that he did. Well, he's a wonderful Christian thinker, leader, writer, written many books, Uh, really a person who's left a legacy that continues now. He's still living and with us, thank the Lord. Uh, But we're so grateful for the opportunity Beeson Divinity School had to interact with Ray Bakke in the early years of our school to get us thinking about the fact that we are in Birmingham, Alabama. We have a stewardship of geography And God has placed us in this city to minister in Jesus' name in a time like this. Let's go back now to 1993 and our friend Dr. Ray Bakke.
0: I want to express my delight at being able to be with you and uh, to greet you and to thank Brother Al for that worship and praise. Uh, Last year, a group of us came to this church as part of our visit and we had an extraordinary time and i'm just delighted we could all come back here and experience this place and what is happening in this place this time as uh, bill said i'd like to take just a few minutes to to do a little bit of an introduction about a consultation the name consultation and the difference i think all of you know about crusades crusades are something big Crusades have the image of almost a military campaign We've all heard about the Billy Graham crusade Uh, uh, The attempt to to mobilize the whole body of Christ to grab the whole city uh, To create a consciousness of God and spiritual things is the essence of a crusade the crusade is an event it is the big event and it is the event which is organized by people all working ahead and there's committees of blessers and there are all these things that happen and, and the money is raised and the people come and fill a stadium and many many good things happen because of that i'm not at all uh, knocking that a conference is where a product is available Uh, there are very many conferences, usually conferences are where somebody who has a successful program or successful information and, and comes and the platform basically dictates the agenda in a conference and the participants are rather passive, they pay And they come, they listen, they take notes, they buy the product, and they go back. And many good things happen from conferences. And I think you've all and I have been part of those many, many times. When we say consultation, we're saying something a little different from either of the other two. And a little bit of that goes back into my own history as a pastor in Chicago for many, many years. And getting calls every year to say... The Reverend so-and-so, the Dr. so-and-so, the great so-and-so is coming to our city and we'd like to invite you to a big hotel so you can come and learn why this crusade, why this conference is important to our city. And for many, many years as a pastor, I remember experiencing that as as a little bit of a mixed blessing because none of these people ever asked what we were learning in Chicago. Nobody ever came and said, well we have some resources, we're wondering if we could walk alongside you and if maybe together we could fan the flames of what God's already doing in your city and uh, use their ability to get us together, to get us together, but instead we were always being brought together for an outside agenda, and this happened to me over and over again, and finally I said there must be another way to do this because i had the assumption i know what happened to me in my city i've been meeting 23 years with a group of people every month we committed ourselves to lay our bones down in chicago in ministry about 23 years ago we have two covenants one to each other and one to our city and we've been meeting for about 23 years and um, we've been reading books together we've been studying our city praying for our city And and yet none of these people who ever came in ever asked us what we were learning or what was happening there. Um, The agendas were always made outside the city. And so it seemed to me there must be another way. And the other way, I think, is, is when we come together and teach each other what God is doing in our city, what we are learning. And so we turn each other into a consultant and the audience isn't passive rather it's interactive and not only that the platform not only doesn't control but instead the city does we actually are going to divide up into teams and go out and look at models come back and reflect on what we're learning what god is doing here in the city so it's a learning event and hopefully we fall in love again with our city we fall in love again with what God is doing, we stand in awe of the new things that are being invented here by very creative people here in Birmingham. And my role is not so much to tell you what you should do at all, but rather just to fan flames and 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 help get people to talk and, and go with you and learn with you and stand in solidarity with those of you who are doing it. And hopefully in the end of Wednesday morning we'll have something to celebrate about what God is doing what we're learning what we think the agendas are where the resources are and so we can begin to think here are the people of need and here are the people of resources how can we help build those bridges and strengthen the kingdom and we're doing it obviously in consultation black and white and other than black and white I mean uh, a city Is Significant in America not only because of black and white, but for other reasons, which I'll say in just a moment In 1900 90% of all Americans lived and or worked on farms That's my experience. I grew up farming my spiritual gift is milking Uh, I mean that's what I did. I went to a one-room country church and and 100 miles north of seattle washington and grew up at the end of the gravel road the little cemetery in the front of our church was the alumni association of our church and half of my family was in the cemetery and half was in the church and, and um, i never expected to be in a city nor did america because in 1900 90 of all americans lived or worked on farms today little more than two percent of America lives and or works on farms. In this century, we will have totally transformed this nation from being a rural farming agricultural to in fact a massively urbanized country. Because now 51% of the nation lives in 39 places. 51% 51% of the United States lives in 39 places that have more than a million people. And Birmingham is just under the cut. Birmingham and Richmond and a couple other cities are are going to break the million barrier probably by the year 2000. Birmingham is over 940 or so in the metro area and um, is moving and is, as you know from your fact pack book, uh, if you've had a chance to glance, the 46th largest city in the country. Now, there are other things that are happening in this country that make urban mission today the most significant cutting edge worldwide. And let me just take a few moments to sketch that out. And I do so to tell you that your ministry in the city is far more significant than you may think. Just if you take the local look. Let me sketch the big picture. Worldwide the world population grows at the rate of about a new birmingham every week (laughs) okay about nine birmingham's a month are added to planet earth get your head around that Al. you multiply that times every week of the year fifty two birmingham's a year and you have roughly the population growth of the planet earth I have my dad's old 50 year watch, and um, it has one of those old fashioned second hands, okay? That's why I like old watches. I'm not into the digital yet. You know, it reminds me of something. There haven't been a billion minutes since Jesus walked on this earth nearly 2,000 years ago. There haven't been a billion minutes in 2000 years but we're going to add a billion to the planet in less than ten years fifty-seven percent of those will be born in Asia most of the people will live in cities God's earth is about eighty-seven percent non-white thirteen percent would be white like me over about fifty percent would be yellow the rest black and brown In God's polychrome world, what we're seeing then is the Asianization of planet Earth in a big way. In fact, two years ago, the front page of the New York Times, which I bought here in Birmingham, said Birmingham went from six Chinese restaurants to 66 Chinese restaurants in the last six years. Which gives new meaning to the 666 in the book of Revelation. (laughs) Sixty-six Chinese restaurants, up from six in Birmingham. What does that mean? Anybody have a clue? Who's coming? Asia, to Birmingham. Why are we surprised? In my lifetime, the United States, if you can picture it, has been a swinging door from facing Europe to a nation facing Asia. Asia is now far and away our biggest economy. President Clinton just met the presidents of Asia for the very first time they ever worked together. Where? Seattle. My old home area. And just north of my home area is a new city in Western Canada, Vancouver. Have you heard of Vancouver? You see, China is just emptying out. Toronto, the west coast of the United States is part of that Pacific Rim. Mexico is becoming an open border now, right? The United States has long been the largest Irish nation. I guess you know that. We've been the largest Scandinavian nation. We have far more Scandinavians in the United States than any of the Scandinavian countries, including my home country, Norway. We have been the largest Jewish nation. We have far more Jews in New York than in the state of Israel. But Arabs will outnumber Jews in this country by the year 2000. So it would be a fairly large Arab country. This year, you know, we are the second largest African country. Maybe, I'm sure you knew that. Only Nigeria has more black people than the United States. And Brazil would be third. Think of it. There are 53 countries in Africa. Only one, Nigeria, has more black people than the United States. And this past year, we passed Colombia and Argentina. We're now the third largest Spanish nation. Surprise! There are 25 Spanish nations. Mexico, Spain, USA, number three. And more than 20 Spanish nations that have fewer Spanish-speaking people than the United States think of it the whole world is coming to America and when they come where do they come to the cities that's where the economy is even Chinese who are rural overseas when they come here they go straight to cities so increasingly cities are the catch basins of the world and if we've been thinking of city as only a collection of poor people and rich people Or black people and white people, we are really not getting ready for the reality that the city has become the catch basin of the world. Now, I caught this when I moved 28 years ago into a one mile square of inner city Chicago. I've been there 28 years. In our mile by mile and a quarter square, we have 60,000 people. It's a packed in area. And more than 60 nations in the high school. And the high school, the inner city public high school where my kids went has 2,500 students or did then, over half of which were foreign born. So my neighborhood's about 35% African American, about 28% Asian, about 21% Spanish, and about 14% is white, white ethnic or Native American. The school teaches in 11 languages in my neighborhood. Teaches. Many more are spoken. They teach in 11. My church worships in six languages. My son's church a mile away worships in eight languages. We have to, because the city has become a human zoo, if you please. The whole world has come. Now, it's no different in Hollywood, it's no different in Flushing, New York, it's no different in sections of Atlanta, and even it's amazing as you see where Japanese are building buildings and others. Um, we're, we're going to see more and more of this. And so, I'm suggesting that even as we look at world mission, in the past we defined mission in geographical terms. We said, Mission is geographically distant from the existing church. And so missions became sending people over the ocean. Foreign missions. We sent them over the mountains, through the jungles, over the deserts to get to the last people, right, who didn't know Jesus. Foreign missions was considered geographically distant from the existing church. But guess what? We now know that for the first time in history, by the year 2000, in fact, more than half of the people of the world will live in cities, even large cities. That means there are more unreached peoples, not in the jungles. Where are they? They're in the cities. So mission is no longer geographically distant, it's culturally distant. And geographically, right next door. To most of our churches, see that shift. Mission today is no longer geographically distant. In fact, if you draw a one-mile circle around the building, you'd probably find lots of nations that live there in that circle. Missions today is culturally distant, but geographically very close. I walked into a church in Miami. And there were 34 flags hanging from the balcony. I said to the pastor, tell me about those flags. He said, oh, those are the flags of our members. He said, we have 34 nations now in our membership. And I said, well, how does that work? He said, well, when we evangelize here in Florida, we buy flags. If we don't have a flag for, for the people we're discipling and bringing into our church. And on the Sunday morning, we welcome them into the fellowship. We plant their flag right down front. And we welcome the flag into our church. It's culture, it's history, it's people. Then he said, we serve their food at our next church meal. Then he said, we put art from their country on the walls of our church. The language on the banners. And we put somewhere in the halls, the Sunday school classrooms. In other words, the church has become a museum of the nations. Then he said, we give... The flag to the church missions committee, and we say to the missions committee, now do something about the country that has sent us our latest members. Now this is a local church in Miami, and they said, we are now working as a congregation. We have missions in thirty-four nations, from whence cometh our members. Isn't that incredible? We used to set up departments of foreign mission, send the money. We still do that. But, in fact, we now have one of the greatest mission fields, multinational mission fields, is within a mile of your building. And we have churches now who are doing that. My own church, worshipping in all these different languages, has, in fact, a pastoral team, multi-language pastoral team. We have to. It's the new reality. So, we're like supermarkets. We're like banks. We're open all the time. 24 hours, day pastors, night pastors, day church, night church, right? 24-hour church in the city, reaching the multitudes from the different cultures. A whole different way of thinking as a pastor, I assure you. I was never prepared for this. In fact, the seven last words of the church are, we never did it that way before, (laughs) right? Seven last words of the church. We never did it that way before. Now, just when it was expensive to send people as missionaries overseas, guess what? They're paying their own way to come here. I heard about a congregation in Huntsville a couple years ago who baptized four PhDs from Japan in one year. Do you realize... That we've been sending missionaries since the Catholic father Francis Xavier to Japan in the 1550s. 450 years we've sending missionaries to Japan. And Japan is still less than 1% Christian after centuries of mission and sent millions of dollars of mission funds. Do you know that that congregation that baptized four PhDs in Huntsville in one year probably baptized more phds than were baptized in all of japan that year now you see do you suppose god is moving the world around into the cities to get ready for a twenty-first century pentecost in the cities i think so so i'm not looking at this as a victim i'm remembering how god sent sent Israel to Babylon and there they invented the synagogue and recovered the doctrine of angels and lay ministry and brought it back to Israel I'm remembering the God who sent people to to Alexandria Egypt where they invented the Greek Bible that could speak the language of the cities the Bible which Paul used in the early church used to see and brought it back to Israel I am aware of the great book by a Methodist, we're in a Methodist church, Frederick Norwood, called Strangers and Exiles, a History of Religious Refugees, two-volume, magnificent study, his life work as a doctoral uh, and professor, Frederick Norwood, in which he shows that since Abraham, it's God's purpose to move people around the earth for the purpose of world evangelization. And it's still happening. And so Birmingham has become one of these new catch basins like Atlanta of the whole world. The Olympics in Atlanta in 96 are going to spill over here. Lots of things are going to be bringing not only the med center, which has replaced steel. Look in that fact book and compare how many. One out of eight jobs in Birmingham is medical related. People coming here all over the world. You still think about Birmingham as steel. Pittsburgh South. That's gone. You're welcome to the high-tech world. You're plugged into the world now. I mean, you always have been in some ways. But even more now. You see, that's the point I'm making is don't think small. Don't think you're just an insignificant little church somewhere in the West End, Al. Oh. You're at the center of one of the greatest movements and migrations of people in human history. Everybody's coming to the cities. Did you notice that 25% of all the jobs in this state are here? Did you notice that one-third of all the income in this state is earned in this town? Anybody still doubting the significance of this city? The fact is, folks, those of you who have the privilege of being in ministry in a city have got to start opening your eyes to what is, I think, God's large agenda. And that is bringing people to the cities for purposes that we didn't know. And so I think one of the things that has to happen is we have to get ready for this. I don't think we're ready. When I go to London, it's really interesting... London used to rule 52 nations in the world. The British Empire. The sun never set on it, you know. They were so proud of their empire. I don't know if you've been to London lately, but if you go to East London, I could show you marking in Newham, the whole Eastland end of Roger Sainsbury's Anglican parish. I could show you very easily that East London is pretty much Asia today. Punjabi, Pakistani, Bangladeshi, East End London. South London, basically black, West African, West Indian. West London, Arab. Oh yeah, there are still British people who live there. But see, the, the British Empire has come to London I call it the Empire Strikes Back Syndrome. <laughs> now, you see, the Brits have been sending, through their church, mission, society, and all, they've been sending people, because mission was way over there. But now the mission's come home. Some of the fastest growing ministry in London is Ugandan. It's amazing. See what's happened. Amsterdam used to rule Indonesia. Now Inst- Indonesia lives in Amsterdam. I could show you neighborhoods that are 20%. Muslim. Indonesian, Malacca Straits peoples. Paris used to rule Africa. 26 countries of Africa speak French. Francophone Africa. 26 nations. Now Paris is 14% African. Paris. Inner city Paris is 300,000 Algerians. Marseille on the Riviera is now 31% African. African. You see, France ruled Africa, now Africa's in France. And the French don't like it, by the way, one bit. Um, And there's a Le Pen guy who's sort of the George Wallace of France, Um, if you can see that image. Uh, And the French are discovering racism they never had before. Even though they imperialized and colonized the Africans for 150 years, somehow this seems unfair that Africans should want to come back and have a say in France. The Germans built a railroad to the Bosporus. Now, many sections of German cities are Turkish. And, of course, you've got India all over Africa. You've got China everywhere in the world. The whole Southern Hemisphere is coming north. East is coming west. It's the greatest migration in human history. And you can track the migrant streams. They're coming to the cities. That's where the jobs are. That's where education is. And that's, my friend, where the church needs to be. And that's why we're here, to get ready. To get ready. I don't know how you've been thinking about your church and its significance in God's plan. But the world mission is coming here. And we've got to be ready. That's one of the things that brings us here, is this whole new vision of 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 god's agenda of urbanizing the world and we could quarrel over well is this really god's plan or is he the victim of some bad sociology whatever however you think about it i'm not i don't think god is surprised in fact i think that we're given new opportunities to uh, to think about ways to be God's church and I'd like to think that, that one of the things that brings us here is this excitement about the city the city is not any longer the place to abandon we've gone through that white flight, white fright thing that was a, that was a response we panicked and many fled the fact is um, we've got to get beyond that both those who are still here and those who left. We've got to see the whole new reality of the city on all six continents. The city is the catch basin of poor and rich, of have and have not. We all know that. But at the same time, we really have got to have a bigger vision I think than we have had and we're going to start this morning with a biblical piece of that vision and I want to do that in conversation with you of course but I hope you catch a little bit of the excitement of what's happening in God's earth at this time just the changes in Birmingham each time I come are just remarkable and uh, this city is being reconfigured in lots of ways for good and ill i don't deny that Been a massively increased escalation of violence since eighty nine there are four new things in american cities across the board the four new things that we didn't deal with before i think are crack cocaine addiction we we had addiction before but we didn't have crack until about ten years ago second thing we didn't have was AIDS, this thing has come in a decade from nowhere to impact Birmingham. And you'll see in your fact book the numbers are escalating here as they are in many other places. Third thing we didn't have years ago, the fastest growing group on the streets of America are the children of the homeless. We had homeless, but they tended to be either 58-year-old winos, 32-year-old ex-mental patients, or bag ladies. But about seven, eight years ago, we started to realize, and Jonathan Kozel started writing about it in Rachel and her children, the fastest growing group would be the children of the homeless. That's new, the homeless children. And the fourth thing we have is Uzis and AK-47s. We, ne- we never had kids driving up and down the streets, blowing people away with uh, automatic weapons. We had violence, gang violence, about 1989, that all changed, and we had this massive firepower increase. I think it may be related to the uh, Gulf War. For the first time in history, we televised the whole war. We, we televised the bombs as they left and as the bombs as they landed. I think a whole lot of American kids got the idea that if you get enough weapons, you can just blow people away. And maybe the side effect of the Gulf War has been escalating of violence here at home. I'm not the only one that thinks that way.